A podcast network. So this is the story of my journey of self-love. Roll that beautiful bean footage. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Mormon and the Meth Head. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and Jessa Reed are friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. I'm really trying to bring that back. I just think we should open every podcast with the beautiful bean footage. Bring it back from when? When was it a... Bring it back from the 1990s chili commercial, I guess. It was... You don't remember that commercial? Wait, so that was a very famous... I thought it was a Bush's Beans commercial. Yeah. Is it chili or is it baked beans? Well, I mean, it's baked beans. And is it the dog that says roll the beautiful bean footage? Okay, I totally know that dog. I know that those beans. Yeah. I don't remember that sentence. But yeah, let's sure. Let's bring it back. Okay. And we don't have to write. We don't have to write. um, Roll that beautiful self-love footage. That's just a video of me jerking off. Uh, (laughs) I have several. (laughs) Jessa rolls that footage all the time. I have many, many (laughs) things. Roll that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that has many (laughs) meanings. Uh, Those beautiful beans. Anyway, so I think for years now, I have wanted to like myself more. And it's been a slow, steady journey. I think I've made progress throughout. I think I'm still making progress. I just think that this recent progress feels bigger. Yeah. Like, I don't want to discount everything that led me up to here, but um, this this feels a lot nicer. I'm sure there'll be more setbacks and stuff to come, but here's where we are now. You guys remember in January, we had an episode about the ego revelation that I had where I finally woke up to this idea, to the realization that I have the, I have this other voice in my head that isn't me, that I believed was me, but it's my right. ego. My ego is not my friend and he's not me. He's just, he's, He's just my ego and he convinces me of all these things, you know, makes me think that other people are my enemy and that they hate me and stuff. But really he hates me or he hates himself and uh, is trying to make me feel miserable. Right. I felt that in the days after that revelation, I was in a, in a crazy Zen place where everything just. I was calm. I was very calm. Yeah. Nothing got to me. Nothing upset me. Right. Everything was very Zen for a little while. And then, uh, you guys remember me talking about how I reconnected with Tabitha and that happened soon after that was like the end of January. Right. She called me up and we have, we don't talk very much. And she called me up and we had this heart to heart that was really great. And she told me that she had an experience that was very similar to my experience. And it was so crazy how it mirrored it. And I was like, whoa, this feels like destiny. This feels great. This feels like a great awakening. This all feels good, you know? And then, uh, 
soon after that, uh, <laughs> it got bad again with me and her. And she was like trying to, I don't know, get into my life more. Like she wanted us to be closer and it was going much faster than I was comfortable with. And she's calling me up and like trying to involve me in decisions and stuff. And I was like, this is kind of trigger. This is kind of a lot for me. You know, uh, she was touching on things that I was still sore about. And, uh, I'm like, all right, so there's unresolved stuff here. You know, the last phone call was like great. And we, we said we forgive each other, but we didn't get into specifics. Now I'm like, specifically, this is what hurt me when, uh, you took Ethan from me <laughs> like that. That was a big deal. That hurt. You took Ethan from me and we're saying that I was too crazy to have him. And then, uh, when I, uh, you wouldn't listen to anything that I said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do the right thing. So I went and got a lawyer and, uh, said, let's officially get divorced then. Cause we still weren't cause she was, uh, she said she wanted to submit the, the divorce papers on her own, but she wasn't doing it. She wasn't right. doing it. She wouldn't let me help with the divorce papers. She was like, I don't think that would be a good idea for, uh, us to, to work together on it. And I was like, uh, I mean, you have to send it to me eventually. And then I have, to, you know, like that's, so why mm -hmm. not just email it to me? You know? Um, and she's like, I don't think we should have that much contact or whatever. So she wouldn't write the divorce paper. So I got a lawyer and f started the divorce process on my own. And she, she got a lawyer and then responded by suing for full custody. She wanted full custody. And, uh, she claims that I was suing for full custody first. And there's a whole, that it's all just a misunderstanding or whatever. But I was like, I'm still hurt about that. And I thought she was going to say, yeah, I'm sorry, but she didn't. She was like, no, I'm not sorry for that. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, what? She was like, yeah, you were just unstable. You know, I don't think she used the word crazy. That's what I'm putting. That's what oh, okay. I'm saying, because uh, that's what I heard. Right. I don't well, think unstable isn't. But I, I heard her say, like, you know, you're crazy. So I, I she was like, I'm his mother. I didn't know if he was safe. I was so anxious when he was with you because I didn't know he was safe. And th this really set me off because I was like you know that's he's he's safe with me like you know that he's safe with me he's never he's never ever been in danger with me i i am like a lot of things but uh a bad dad is not one of them like i she was like yeah well you were just you you were in a bad place and i was like yeah i'd been in a bad place for a year and a half and you never gave a shit and now, like, uh, when you're like moving in with your new boyfriend and starting a new family and stuff, like, uh, and we're and we're starting the divorce process, suddenly it's a problem. So, like, it was, it was bad. I don't know. I I immediately got triggered back into like I, I transported a year and a half prior, and like I'm on the phone with her and I'm not calm anymore. I'm not serene. I'm not zen. I am triggered, scared, angry, upset, yelling on the phone. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate being like that. I couldn't believe that I was doing it again. And 
things have pretty much been like that uh, with her ever since then. And it's not, ugh, whatever. Like your feelings with her? Mm-hmm. M- March, you and me get back together. Right. Uh, and uh, we start like the the last leg of our of our uh, boyfriend girlfriend relationship, and it was the best of times and the worst of times. There were things that we were that we did way better. Like we had we'd fixed a lot of of the surface level problems, right? But then the core problems that weren't being addressed were like bigger, louder. Uh, caused more caused more problems. We had gotten very good at symptom management, but the codependency and the, the intimacy, like all of this was uh, boiling underneath. Right. I thought we did a pretty good job with the exception of one big fight at like communicating better and mm-hmm. kind of using the language that we had learned. But yeah, we didn't feel any better. Right. Well, um, in that last part, of our relationship is where I really started to feel a lot more doubts about myself. Uh, because we were having problems, you know, for a long time, we were investigating those problems as we do. And I was becoming more convinced that I had all these other issues. Like I have a fear of intimacy or I'm avoidant or I am commitment phobic or, or whatever. And then when the relationship ended um it was you uh we were both pretty upset right that it that it was ending and we had normal i think breakup fights that people have right and um you said more things that then made me that really amplified these doubts that I had. And I left our relationship feeling very broken. Like there was something, something deeply wrong with me that I'm, that I am just going to keep doing this over and over again. I'm just going to keep hurting people that I love and, uh, never finding true happiness. And I suck. And, I tried to fight all of that. I think that I was doing outward things that were like, I like myself, but there was just something deep still inside uh, that I spent a lot of days inside, a lot of days inside and a lot of days just in my bed, not being able to uh, get out and stuff. As I worked through and processed through our breakup and started feeling better about things. There was a day where I got high and did some meditating by meditate. I don't mean real meditate. I just mean some thinking I did. I had a thinking spell and I was thinking about what I really want. You know, in the, uh, one of these previous episodes, we talked about how I want to quit comedy, right? I just don't feel like I'm happy and I'm, what is it that I want? Do I want to live in Salt Lake? Do I want to live in LA? Do I want to live in New York? Do I want to live in Cincinnati? Like, where do I want to go? Do I want to keep pursuing stand-up comedy? I don't think I do, but what's the alternative at this point? Do I get a job? 
I get a job? A job. Like a <laughs> boss? Do I get a boss and a job and a paycheck and, and taxes and, and stuff? Do I get a mortgage? Should I get a house? Like, it's kind of ridiculous that I'm 32 going on 33. I've got roommates. I share a room with my son. Like, maybe I should get a fucking uh, job. I don't. It sounds terrible. Like, what is it that I want? And I kept coming back to the thing. Like, there would be these little thoughts. I was like, I know what I want, you know, but I didn't want to go after the things that I wanted. For example, I'll just, the biggest example is acting. I think about acting all the time. I talk to you about it all the time. Yeah. I don't. I, and then I remembered like we d- I did a 48 hour film festival with Nick Dobson in 2006. I believe this one. We did one and we, we did multiple. But I think this one was in 2006. 40 hour film fest was so fun. I mean, we were kids. I don't understand the adults that do it. You're losers. But <laughs> we were kids and it was fun. Uh, you have 48 hours to make a short film. They give you like a character name and a line of dialogue and a prop that you have to put. And they, they, you pull a genre out of a hat. So you have to make it in that genre. And it's just really fun. You don't sleep all weekend. You just like, you come home Friday night and you have these things that you pulled out of the hat and you have your friends and you just start writing the script. And then by sunup Saturday morning, the script is done and you're filming and you're like, shoot, you go, you've got people that are scrambling to find locations that we can shoot at people that are, there's like, we have to make, you have to have original music. Like we had our musical friends just like in a room writing a score for them. Like we gave them a script and they just start writing the score. Like it's just busy. Like there's something to do. It's fun. We're like having a blast. We're teenagers. We're horny. Like it's just, everything's great. Everything's fun. And uh, it was like Saturday or Sunday morning. It was early. Like I remember the sun coming up in Greenbelt over uh, Nick's house. And because we were shooting on the roof. And I was like coaching our actors. And I was like giving them like, um, uh, not tips, but like, I don't know. I was like helping them like uh, get the performance that I, that I wanted when I wrote the script. And I was just like, the words coming out of my mouth were just perfect. And then they, they, the actors were perfect and everything was fun. And I said to myself, I have to do this for the rest of my life. I have to, this is what makes me happy. This is what I love. And I'd like known that for so long and I don't do it. I've done, I've dabbled in some acting, but every time I think about it, I'm like, why don't you try to get an agent? Why don't you try to go out for auditions? Why don't you try? Why don't you try? Why don't you try? And uh, I'm high and I'm thinking about that. I'm like, you know what you want. Why don't you go after it? And I was like, I think I don't go after it because I don't like myself enough. You know, uh, you, you just, you tell yourself that you're worth a certain amount and, uh, like I'm not worth the risk Cause what if I don't make it and what if blah, blah, blah. Even though I've thought about how I don't think I need to be a famous actor. I think I gain a lot of joy just from acting. Like right. even if I was a loser doing 48 hour film festivals, even if I was, I, I, I would have fun. I would have fun. Acting is empathy. Acting is compassion. It is introspection. It's all the things that I love. It's learning more about yourself by putting you in the shoes of another person. I love both of those things together. That's and attention and attention. <laughs> what? I love this. This is great. Why don't I go after it? I don't like myself enough. So I said, I've got to, I've got to learn to like myself. And in a very Jessa esque move, I was like, 
give me all the books on loving yourself. I want to start reading stuff on loving yourself. I love it. Yeah, you do. How many times you try to, you get, you're all into getting at books and how often did, was I ever interested? Right. It, I, I could, I would maybe read the screenshots you would send me if they weren't like huge. Right. Right. But I'd never really put the effort in myself to learning to love myself because I wasn't worth the effort. Right. But now I'm like, I think I'm worth it. Let's do it. I said, nothing in my life is going to get better until I love myself. So that has to be priority one. And, uh, I started looking for books right away and this in combination with a few other experiences that I had was very helpful. Number one, like we mentioned, you came forward and said, sorry for all the things that happened in our relationship. Right. And that was relieving and validating to me to be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not that big of a monster. I didn't destroy this. We just had a normal relationship that didn't work out and it's fine. That's okay. And I started noticing just this nice voice inside of me that is calm and quiet, but was speaking up more. I spoke about this on a Patreon episode where I was getting upset and the, and like thinking all these thoughts about, uh, I don't know what love is. And I'm such a, I'm such a, I'm so weak for telling someone how I felt and like being rejected. And I think I just seek out rejection because I don't actually want anyone to love me. So I only tell people that I like them if I don't think they like me. And oh, I'm, I have such a fear of intimacy and such a uh, fear of this and that. And then I had this little voice that just spoke up and was like, that's not really that true. Like you, first of all, very brave that you told someone how you feel. That's a brave thing. You like doing that. And I do, Jess. I like telling people how I feel. And I like liking people. I like telling them all these things that, that I like. I, I like it. I like making people feel good. That's not a bad thing. And there was voices like, you do know what love is. And like, yeah, it just hasn't worked out for you lately. But that doesn't mean you don't know what it is. And I'm like, okay, okay. This feels good. I'm feeling uh, better. I go back home for uh, some best friend's wedding. And I have, I go out with an old friend, one of my best friends, and we talk about you and me and our breakup. And uh, they help me feel a lot better. They say some things, they ask me some questions that make me, that force me to like stand up for myself and realize that like, you know, I'm not, I'm doing okay. Right. Doing okay. I had like a good, self-esteem uh moment the next morning as i'm driving to the wedding and i was just like excited and i thought none of this would be happening unless i got divorced from tabitha and then i kind of cried but it was like i scream cried like a happy scream like not like ah! like i was so giddy at that thought also the chili peppers were on the radio and like a lot of people love to make fun of the chili peppers nowadays and i am not friends with those people the chili peppers are fantastic and uh they i heard three different songs on the radio on the drive to delaware that day it was fantastic i was in a great mood really feeling myself at the wedding pretty fun wedding so good i cried i cried a bunch I danced a bunch. I drank a bunch. 
partied a bunch, saw all these people that I love. Towards the end of the night, uh, a girl talks to me. And I think she's, she was trying to neg me. And um, if, you know, if you know what nagging, you know what nagging is, right? Yeah. Jess? Okay. Uh, you say negative things to a person, but in like a sneaky way. Yeah. And often this is like used to like, you're trying to like a, like a, like a gross dude will try to neg a girl to trick her into sleeping with him. Right. You know? Uh, make her lower her self esteem so that you can put it in there. And I don't know if that's what, what her ultimate goal was, but uh, I think that I think that for sure she was hoping to make me feel bad about myself and it worked. And she said several things that about, about that night, like, Oh, do you know what the first thing she said to me was, she said, I thought you were going to be a lot happier. Oh, and I was like, what? What do you mean? I'm very happy. I'm really, I'm having a great time. And she was like, yeah, but like, you seem very sad on the inside. And I was like, do I? I was feeling like really good today. I tried, I didn't tell her about the chili peppers thing, but right. you know, and she was like, yeah, it's pretty obvious how sad you are. And I was like, what? Weird. And now I'm in my head going, do I seem sad? Does everyone do? Does everyone think I'm sad? I didn't feel sad, and she was like, "Well, you know, it's like I mean, you're drinking a lot more than everybody," and I was like, "I was. I mean, I drank. I'm God. I'm pretty drunk. Like, uh, but everyone's drinking. It's a it's open bar. Like, uh, at the end of the night, like the bartender had to leave at a certain time, but then they just put the bottles of of alcohol out." They were like encouraging every guys were drinking gallon jugs of beer. Like I was like, I, am I the drunkest one here? Really? Um, she said something about an Instagram story that I had of me and my friend. I'm like, look at us. And she was like, Oh really? You put your, your chest in the front. I was like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm holding the camera. So I am in front. <laughs> like he was behind me. She was like, yeah, well that's just like a video of your chest. And I was like, okay. So my cinematography work wasn't great. <laughs> As you pointed this isn't out, the 48-hour film festival. Yeah. <laughs> so you have pointed out I am the drunkest one here. Yeah. So I don't know. I was like, I just thought this was a fun video of me and my friend, right? And I don't know. I think she said a couple other things, but it's not important. What's important is that I got really sad. Keep in mind, I had a lot of alcohol in me, so it was already primed for sadness. And like this girl that I, that had been like flirting with me earlier in the night just left. And I was like, oh, she probably left because I was so drunk and sad. Like, I probably was obviously drunk and sad. And uh, I probably embarrassed myself uh, in front of everybody. Mm. And, like, I was just alone. Uh, I went to sleep alone in this, uh, uh, in this weird room, <laughs> just laid on the floor. And, like, woke up in the morning so sad, so alone. Went to the beach by myself tried to cheer myself up. One of the things I will say about this whole two week, two month breakup thing, mm -hmm. as sad as I've been, I've done a pretty good job of, of like managing it. Like I still like go out and like do things, give myself self care time. So I was like, I'm going to go to the beach. 
but I kept thinking about it and like getting sadder and then like looking at everybody posting stuff from the wedding and I wasn't in anyone's pictures and I was like, am I not actually friends with any of these people? Do I, do I like them more than they like me? Does no one like me? Am I alone? And all these thoughts were in my head for days. And I started sending apology texts to people at the wedding and I said, hey, I'm really sorry if I was boorish or obnoxious at all. And everyone was like, no, no, you weren't. No, we love you. We had a great time. And I was like, okay, you sure? And I just kept checking with everyone. And uh, then I, as more time passed, the more I realized like those things that that girl said were mean and they weren't, yeah. and they were not true at all. So either uh, she's like purposely trying to be mean to me or she's an idiot because like other people I talked to like couldn't remember things that happened. They were so drunk. They were like, I know I had this conversation uh, uh, with so-and-so, but I don't remember what they said because I was that drunk. And I was like, oh, well, I remember everything. So I definitely wasn't the drunkest person, you know? Uh, I'm looking at, because I also took my shirt off at one point, but that's because I danced so fucking hard. I would sweat everything through. And then... Um, I'm looking at pictures and I'm like, oh, all these guys Everyone's had their shirts shirt. off. I saw Everyone's pictures. shirt Everyone's is shirt off. off. I wasn't being, I was like with the, you know, I was like, so my, my perspective on that event starts changing. And I'm like, that person tried to make me question my own feelings. That person tried to make me feel bad about certain things that I had no need to feel bad about. Or, well, maybe she didn't try. Maybe it was an accident. I'll throw that caveat out there. Sure. Maybe. But that was like, ended up being a big revelation for me. I started to feel better about that. And this good little voice starts speaking up more after, after that experience. Then I go do a trade off with Tabitha. When I trade trade off, I mean, uh, Ethan. Now Tabitha lives a block away from me. She broke up with, with her boyfriend. Fiance. Fiance. And there's the, another shitty part of that January phone call that we had, that heart-to-heart that felt good. Right. Is that it turned out she was just doing it because she knew she was breaking up with her guy and was like, it just now, it didn't feel as genuine anymore, right? But then she, she, moved, she moved a block away from me, which, too close for my comfort, but... Pretty great for Ethan. Right. He gets to have like this one neighborhood. His parents live close by. I think that's good for him. But we used to like do like one of us would have to drive to the other person's house to pick him up. Now we're just like walking halfway between. Now, Tabitha has a problem with time. She doesn't. She has a hard time getting anywhere on time. And I was married to her. It was very frustrating for me. Uh and like, I just, I hate the language of just like, I'm on my way, but she hasn't left the house yet, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I know how long it takes to get here. You said you were on your way 45 minutes ago. So you weren't actually on your way yet. So why did you tell me that? Like stuff like that bothers me. Right. I'm not the most punctual person, but I don't, uh, lie about it. And most of our trade-offs with Ethan, she's late. Most of them. Right. Almost every single one of them. And I don't say anything about it uh, because I don't, I don't want to give any energy to her, whatever. But this day she was 25 minutes late and it was a day that I had to go. Like this is fucking up my schedule 
I have to get out of here. Now I'm 25 minutes late. And it was also one of those things where she's just like every few minutes texting me, uh, but like still not leaving the house. She was like, Hey, are you ready? And I was like, yeah, I'm ready. And then I leave my house and then she's like, okay, like, like five minutes later. Okay. Do you want to meet halfway when I'm already at the halfway point? And I'm right. like, yes, I do want to meet halfway. And then like, uh, five minutes later, she's like, okay, leaving the house now. Okay. And then five minutes later, she's still, you know, like all this stuff. And I still don't even want to bring it up. I don't want to bring it up. I'm just going to get Ethan and go fast, but she wants to walk with us. And, uh, they forgot this thing that belongs to my brother that she said she was going to give back to me. And I asked about it and she was like, Oh shoot, should we go back to the house? I said, can't, I'm running late. Ethan's like, how are we running late already? And I said, I don't know, man. I thought we were doing a trade off at three 30 and Tabitha was like, isn't that what we did? And I turned to her with this look in my eye and I was like, it is three fifty-five right now. <laughs> like, uh, and she, she smirks at me. She smirks at me. Like I am being so dramatic about it. Like, okay. And that boiled my blood. I was like, and I don't, I don't snap though. I say, uh, I, I just think in the future, I, I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm not totally calm. I'm not snapping, but there's, right. there's tension in my voice. I'm like, I just would like in the future, if we say a time to stick to that time and she just smirks at me. <laughs> okay, sure. And we keep walking together and, uh, Ethan goes a little bit ahead of us and I don't know where it came from, but I was like, I'm going to stand up for myself. And I said, Hey, when I complain to you about something, when I have a complaint, I don't appreciate it when you smirk at me like I'm crazy. Like I'm not crazy. And she then, and then she just jumps into all the things that I did wrong. She goes, well, why didn't you text me that you were outside already? Why didn't you tell me that you had a place to go? Why didn't you tell me? And I was like, why weren't you there on time? Stop listing all the stuff that I did wrong and talk about the one thing you could have done right, which was be there when we said we were going to be there. And to her credit, she said, you're right. I'm sorry I wasn't there when I said I was going to be there. And I was like, okay. Now it comes the part that I'm a little bit embarrassed of. So Ethan at the same time is doing this thing uh, that happens sometimes where he's like performing for the parents and like um, – like when I like I used to take him to his mom and he would be so he he wanted to go to his mom's house. He missed his mom. But then he would put on this show for me that was like, oh, dad, I don't want to go. And he'd like hold on to my neck and be like, I don't want to miss you. But then like you you have this tearful goodbye. And then like 10 seconds later, his mom's like he's he texts me and he's like, he's fine. He's happy. It's all good. Yeah. And we did this over and over again. And then I was like, OK, well, I think he's just doing it for us. So I made lots of efforts to discourage him from doing this. Like I um, sent him downstairs on his own without you so that he doesn't have to perform when he yeah. sees her. It's just his mom in the front yard waiting for him. He just runs to her and they're happy, right? Or I talk to him all day about how exciting it is that he's going to mom's house and like how jealous I am that he's going to mom's house and stuff. So that he's like pumped by the time that it's time to go. And... uh he's doing this kind of stuff and I'm mad. I'm agitated and it just feels like 
she's orchestrating it. And this sounds crazy, but it feels like she wants him to do this in front of me. It feels like she wants, and I'm like, that's, that's, a, that's a crazy thought. I'm projecting a lot of stuff onto her that's not right. But still, I was mad. And um, he did it again. He was like, oh, I don't want to go. And I said, what is this? Uh, which is what I regret saying, especially because I was like right in front of Ethan or I was holding Ethan when I said that. And then she starts to cry. And she's like, I don't know what is going on with you today, but the tone you are speaking with is making me so anxious right now. And I said, good, go be anxious then. And I patted her arm and turned around and walked away from her. And I don't know where that came from either, but fuck, did it feel good. It felt good. Like you make me, your existence makes me anxious. I live in anxiety all the time. All of these trade-offs are anxiety ridden for me. You go out of your way to make me anxious all the fucking time. And like, I uh, don't have a tone. Like I don't, I'm not, like she she said something about like me being in a bad mood. I'm like, I wasn't in a bad mood. Uh, I was happy. I was having a great day until I waited in the, in the hundred degree sun for 25 minutes for you, uh, to show up. And like, you don't even show up with an apology. Like you don't That's even, the weird thing is I come from a, a, a family of, I like to be on time, but my family, of you're people, very on time. Um, uh, it stresses me the fuck out to be late. And I'm actually way more laid back now that I'm in LA. Cause I'm like, why get there on time? Nobody else is. But I used <laughs> to be crazy about it. Like it was humiliating to me to be late. And, um, I'm a little more chill, but I'm, my family is chronically late. They're, they, their idea of how long it takes to get to somewhere, and it drives me nuts. They're late to everything. But they come up with an excuse, you know, or something, like an, an awareness of the fact that they're being late, not just with, like, flagrant disregard for the other person. Just like, right. no, it's no big deal. Can I... Well, go ahead. Maybe she was high. I don't know. Like, it just... But... I, I, I leave with Ethan and I hold, I carry him the whole way home. I make it into the house and I just start crying and I just hold him and we both just cry together. Cause he's still really sad. He got really sad when his mom, uh, like when I walked away from his mom, his mom turned around and walked away, you know? Uh, and we just cried. We didn't talk a ton. We just, we just hugged each other tight and just, uh, cried a little bit and then calmed down. And then we started talking and I asked him how he felt about all this stuff and, Got to know like what he thought and I was like, and I felt better. And then I get a text from her that's like, that explained why she was late, said sorry, and which I appreciated. And then said, I don't care how late we are or what kind of mood you're in or, or what, you don't ever talk to me like that, especially not in front of Ethan, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we'll, we absolutely have to handle that better next time. Um, also, if I'm, I, I know that you like, you might be stressed cause you've been having him so much lately. So if you need another night off, I can take him back tonight. And, uh, some, this suddenly I saw this pattern. It's been a while since this happened, but in the first year of the divorce, this happened all the time. We would have a, an interaction at trade-off that would upset me and then I would be too upset to have Ethan 
I'd be a mess. I'd be a mess. And I couldn't, I couldn't fathom parenting. I just needed to be alone and cry because I was so sad. And then I would just like give him right back to her. And something was different this time. And I was like, I don't feel like falling into despair. I cried a little bit with Ethan and I already feel better. And like, she's saying things that like usually would tear me apart. And it's not this time. And I write back very confidently. Thank you for apologizing. I appreciate that. I can understand now why you were late. That makes sense. Although I don't think that I spoke to you very rudely at all. I was upset, but I had a right to be upset and I let you know about it. Also, I asked him if he wants to go back to your house. He says no. So uh, we'll see you in a few days, right? Thank you for the offer. And uh, then she didn't say anything to me for a few days. But, um, well, that's not actually true. She didn't say anything more to me that day. But now I'm like going through the Rolodex of my memories and remembering all kinds of things. Number one, from the beginning of the marriage. And a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that I dislike about Tabitha, I'm like, I don't think that was there during the marriage. Like there was all just divorce stuff that happened. We were just mad at each other in the process of the divorce. And I think that's why she acted that way. But this was like a mem like throughout our marriage, a huge problem was anytime my feelings were hurt by her and I brought it up, she would cry and make it about her time after time after time. It was a huge problem that then we started having fights about the fights where I was like, you know that I just can one day it be my turn to have feelings? Like every time I try to bring up my feelings, it becomes about your feelings where I'm like, Hey, you hurt my feelings. And she's like, it hurts my feelings that that hurt your feelings. Ah, why do you think I'm a terrible wife? And I have to then comfort her, but she never says sorry for what she did. She never addresses my feelings whatsoever. It's just now she's crying and I have to be a good husband and hold her and tell her like, I'm sorry, baby. I think you're a good wife. You do a lot of good things. I just, you know, wanted to talk about this thing. So when you said that you guys had good communication, uh, like you talked one time about how like you guys would fight, but that you were very good at like talking it out. Are you looking back and, and, and realizing that talking it out ended with just you apologizing? Yes, but I think that I was very uh, persistent. Like, I think I did get apologies out of her, you know, but it was just, um, it was a lot of work and not every time, you know. Yeah. But I think that... I'm a good communicator. <laughs> right. So the next day, somebody posts on their Instagram a page from a book called Psychopath Free. And it describes this relationship with an abuser. And I read it and was like, fuck. Oh, man. And then I took, I looked up the book online. They had a, a quiz that you could take. That was part of the book that was like, uh -huh. to deter, like ask you questions about your relationship. And then they like diagnose your partner with some sort of <laughs> mental disease. It's a very fun test. I recommend everyone take it. But that opened my eyes up to a lot of like consistent behaviors that Tabitha had exhibited throughout the years that I had known her. Um, just, just, how she's always got to be the victim and how, uh, nothing's ever her fault, how nothing ever changes, how, uh, at a, just the energy exchange, the energy vampirism. Is it overstepping if I 
Go ahead. List t- a couple things that talk I noticed. No, no, no. Do so it, as do we it. know, I am the vampire or the uh, the narcissist, narcissist slayer. Oh yeah. <laughs> and one of the biggest problems with the narcissist, as we've discussed on a previous episode, is that the narcissist is so they do things in a way that if you speak up for yourself, you seem crazy. It's so subtle what they're doing, or it's so it's it's framed in a way that makes you look. Like, um, it's your fault and it plays off of like what they do in the beginning is they love bomb you and you, they think you think they're everything you ever wanted because they just like subconsciously collect information about you and become that. And then you have kind of a codependent feeling thing with them in the beginning. They're so close to you. They are until you are enmeshed and then they pull away. And as they start to pull away, you lose all these pieces of yourself and you start to unravel and go crazy. But when they're, when they're like storing this data about you, they also know, and this can be relationships, parents, any kind of narcissistic uh, abuse. We had someone fuck with us recently who just like, just like in a very small interaction figured out a trigger and then just pushed the trigger in a way that like, I almost seemed nuts standing up, but I'm like, I know what narcissists are. I know this fucking game. I can feel you. But there were things that I noticed. Number one, when you told the story of your breakup, I was like, that's a, that's a, who does that? Can I talk about that? Talk about it. Talk about it. The story of your breakup. And I definitely told you a few times, like, this is, this is not a normal thing. So you're married for seven years. Uh, you have one conversation in which she lets you know that she's miserable. Uh, five months later, you, you go on a road trip and at the beginning of the road trip, a road trip to get away and like have time alone and have time and alone, like reconnect and knowing that save it's, the marriage, knowing that it's framed like that, knowing that you're flailing, not flailing, but working your ass off to fix it. Are you in therapy already? We are going to, you're going therapy. to couples therapy. You drop off your son. The whole premise of this weekend is to get away together. And the second you drop off your son and start driving, she says she wants a trial se- uh, separation. She then swipes Tinder to your fucking face in a car that you're trapped in for days. Mm-hmm. Okay. We go. So we, uh, it was like this. That was the, Yeah. We go to the show, and she doesn't want to come to the show. She wants to stay in the hotel room and do her Tinder account. And she's, like, swiping on Tinder. And then the next day in the car, she's, like, swiping next to me. While, while you I'm cry. Driving. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, like, chatting with people. Now, can you think of a scenario in which you would treat someone you loved like that? No. You're essentially dating to someone's face who you've been married to for seven years, the father of your child. Now, if you beat her or like cheated on her or something or did something like abusive to her, maybe this makes sense as a defense mechanism, but just a marriage that got rough. Listen, my marriage got fucking rough at the end, but like under no circumstances, first of all, breaking up at the beginning of a road trip is strange, uh, cruel. And then, uh, swiping Tinder in front of your face was, I used to call it emotionally violent. I used to say, like, I think the reaction to, uh, I think what she did was emotionally violent. And I don't, uh, I think that that would cause like an insane whiplash, like how you break up matters. And then another thing that happened was uh, she used to show up. She she has like a weird sixth sense for when things are going well. 
and then she could show up in ruin. Like we'd, we'd be off for a weekend doing something fun and she could just smell it. And then she would show up and she could fuck you up for days. Like when we first became friends. When you say show up, you mean like send a text? Yeah, send a text or call you. And she could fuck you up for days in the beginning. Like when, because I met about a year and a half in, she had just taken Ethan. You had just gotten him back, I think that summer. Mm -hmm. So she could trigger you big time because every single thing she said just triggered that, that Ethan stuff, I'm assuming. Yeah, man. The stuff that she said uh, that haunted me forever was like when I was begging her. I was like, please let me just like have him for a few more hours. And she was like, you have serious mental and emotional problems. And I fear every day that they will ooze onto Ethan. And that's why I can't let you have him. And now that, that, that fucked with me. Uh, I'm going to get back to that though. In, in a second, I want to talk about cra little crazy things. Okay. Throughout the divorce, I, th for years, there've been things that I, I can't complain about because they sound crazy. It's like I it's like government conspiracy level stuff where I'm like, well, when you uh, I'm drawn out a map like, yeah, but you see this, you see, yeah, uh, you know, like uh, there's all these things that would just make me mad. And I would just say. I'm emotional, I'm projecting, I'm projecting all this stuff because I'm super emotional and and whatever, uh, but just, and I don't think it's worth it to get into those little things uh, because it sounds crazy. But like, like you said, there's the way certain, the way that you would phrase texts and stuff. Um, there were, there were double standards. She would uh, chastise me for not following a made up rule that she just made up. And then the next week she would break that rule that she made, that she had a whole fight with me about. And right. And it's not then, about the rule. It's about the energy exchange of making you freak out. So if I can't get him to freak out over the rule, I'll turn around and break the rule and get him to freak out so that I can say, you're so emotional. You're so mm -hmm. broken. And Why so are I, you acting like this? Let go of the past that I keep triggering. Uh huh. Yeah. That's the worst thing. It was when I would like try to point out something hypocritical. She'd be like, stop talking about the past. And I'm like, what? She's like, We're, you need to let go of the past. You need to let go of me stealing your son from you two months ago. Right. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Right. Now the, the energy, this makes me think about your question about uh, us being good communicators. Like in the divorce, I got to this point where I just stopped communicating with her because it didn't feel like it didn't feel good. It didn't feel like it was helping. I think that we would come to a resolution, but it was all, it was like, I would, we wouldn't come to a resolution until I broke down when right. I started yelling and then she could uh, gloat over how emotional I was being. She's like, you know, because like, as soon as I would yell, she was like, see, this is why I can't talk to you. She would say that, you know, like I would want to get her on the phone and be like, let's talk about this. And she was like, I really don't feel comfortable talking to you on the phone right now. If we could just do a text. And I was like, well, that's going to take friends. a lot, a lot longer. Uh, but OK, we're just like texting, you know, and. And then like when I would get upset, she'd be like, see, this is why, this is why I won't call you on the phone anymore because you know, this is this clearly, this is better, you know, uh, this kind of stuff. Then we would come to a resolution. Like I would, but she, I would always feel like she still won no matter what. I feel like if I get upset, then she's won. I also hated like giving her, I hated talking to her because I felt like anything that I revealed to her was then used against me. Everything was turned against me. So I hated giving her information. So I became very protective and very withdrawn. And I would only answer in yes and no's. 
and I wouldn't, I would just not answer certain things that seemed like they were designed to fight. I would let her get her way on everything. Like we were fighting over, like, can I have him this day? And it was just like, okay, you can have him, you know, cause it's not, I, cause what I think you want is to fight and I just won't do it. And you know what? I miss my son a fuck ton. I miss him so much, but I'm going to have him one less day this month because I don't want to fight with you about it and it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And that makes me think back to this question you just asked. I do think that she's apologized in our marriage. I do think that we communicated, but I do think we had to go through a fight every fucking time. Right. I think I had to drag it out of her and I had to get upset. And so I think if, you know, if the theory is that she's feeding off energy that fits into that pattern. So there are different kinds of energy vampires, but um, the, the most insidious are the, the narcissists and they feed off of you kind of like squirting energy out in an emotional reaction squirting is yeah a, weird a less yeah but it's almost what it like when i think of what it looks like that's uh-huh. kind of what it looks like but uh, a less insidious version of an energy vampire that i use a lot is the passive aggressive person and so i know someone who's passive aggressive we're all at a big table we're getting hors d'oeuvres or something or um appetizers they set the appetizers down on the other side of the table and then the passive aggressive person says <laughs> You think maybe I could get a couple of those? I am paying for it. (laughs) Now, everyone at the table feels guilty. The fucking server feels guilty. There's an energy exchange that's happening here, and everyone's feeding this person energy, right? I don't. I log out of my body. When an energy vampire tries to take my energy, I just log out. It's as if I'm not... It's the same thing I do when I hug. Uh, (laughs) I just log out. I'll just stare off into the distance. I'm not going to call you on it because then you're going to get... Then you're going to go, I w-. you get to play the victim, which is another fucking uh, way to take energy. You can't call narcissists on their shit. You just have to find ways to cut them off. But when a narcissist gets cut off by someone who has been their um, source of supply, they find new ways to get that supply. So they're like, oh uh because it was five months or something that you were just one word answering and you weren't feeding in and there were there were times i remember that were like trying really hard to get you fired up and you didn't go for it Mm -hmm. and then i watched a phone call we were headed to the beach to do acid and have fun and then whatever alarm she has that goes off at her house when you're about to have fun uh and she calls and holds you on the phone talking like this it was the weirdest shit i had ever seen she slowed her voice down it didn't need it number one didn't require a phone call at all could have been a text and i agreed with everything i was like yep sounds good sounds good and then she would be like she would just like change the subject for a second and talk slow and soft about nothing because i could hear the entire thing for an it wasn't an hour and a half hour and then uh, at the end, she finally gets to the point that she's like, trying. I don't think it was the point. I think she was trying to get you to freak out, but like it wasn't working because if you talk that slow, like you were clearly walking out the door when she called. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, because like uh, when all else fails, she just tries to control you because then you like if you stand up for yourself, boom, I made you like if she can get any emotional reaction, which is usually just you being like, no, I don't think that that's fair. And then it's like, ah, this is why I don't talk to you on the phone, you know? Yeah. And until she gets that emotional reaction. But when I watched that, I was like, fucking vampire. No, by the end she was taking, she was doing these shots kind of like this girl at the wedding, just about my parenting. 
Yep. Which, it which was like, is trigger. Yeah. It was supposed to be about uh, Ethan starting kindergarten, which was like, cool. He starts kindergarten. Great. And she was like, well, uh, you need to understand this. And uh, you need to know that, uh, you know, like uh, kindergarten is not like preschool. Like you can't just have him miss days if you don't if you don't want him to go. And I was like, uh, OK, this is also months before school starts. Yeah. And it's this just is like, like June of last year. And it's like, would you have a problem with me not taking him to preschool? Like pre- like preschool is just, is just daycare. It's just summertime daycare. Right. And like if I, uh, you know, had something to do or if Ethan was like, I want to go. I would take him. We might mostly I used it on days when we were switching off so I wouldn't have to see her. If we're switching off on Tuesday, I'm taking him Tuesday morning to daycare and she can pick him up there so we don't have to see each other. But for the most part, I want to hang out with Ethan. And it's fucking daycare. Like he doesn't have to go. Right. We pay for it, you know? Like uh so But this is a thing that narcissists do is they um, But she was anyway, they she, pick arguments that are that ridiculous because then you will defend the very obvious thing which is still the energy so she's just like can you tell me how many days a year you think you're gonna take him out of school so then you end up you end up Uh, squirting it because you're just like what the fuck is this you you actually engage in an argument that's nonsense because it's just meant to make you snap it was like it hasn't started yet and she wanted to hypothetically talk to me (laughs) about about me making him miss kindergarten and i was like i don't i mean i don't know what do you, I think I'm going to take him to school, but like it's half day kindergarten. Like if he misses a day hypothetically in the future, who gives a shit? She's like, well, it's just very important. You know, anyway, even talking about this stuff right now, I am afraid that I seem crazy. I'm afraid that not like, and I'm like, I feel this compulsion to give you guys more examples to be like, okay, all right. I know that you're not convinced yet, but listen to this. She did this and this and this and this, but it just, it makes me feel crazy. And then it makes me feel like she's winning, you know? Anyway. Uh, I get, I, I read, I spend a day online reading excerpts from this book. I find out there's a sequel to the book at my local library. I take Ethan the next day we go to the library. I get this book. It's called whole again. If you read uh, it guys, if you listen to our Patreon, we're going to be discussing it with, uh, two other comics, uh, from Boise and, uh, they're, they're great. Jinx and Alicia, they have their own podcast and, uh, we're going to be discussing this book whole again. It's about recovering from a toxic relationship and, is uh, changing a lot for me. Since the divorce, my the, the divorce has defined my identity for the last three years. For the last three years, I think of myself as a person who fucks up relationships because I fucked up my marriage. I blame, I, like, I fucked up my marriage. I am a person who is overly emotional. Um, I am a person who hurts people. Uh, I'm a, I hurt the people I love. And like, that's been who I am. And this book is like showing is, is talking about all these people that had a, had a, a partner who made them believe these things. And I'm like going back to my divorce and being like, holy shit. I only believed that stuff because Tabitha told me. Yeah. And I trusted Tabitha because she, I loved her and she was a good person and she was my wife. But what if she was a, a psychopath? And what if, uh, I've hated myself for no reason. What if I reacted rationally and normally to a very mean person breaking my heart? Like everything in the divorce was just like, I was emotional. And then she was just like, I can't believe you treat me like this. And I was like, I, that I'm sad, Uh, you know, 
all these stuff that was like done in my face. And then when I reacted to it, she was like, this is why, you know? And all of a sudden I'm seeing her in a different light. And like somebody messaged me on Instagram. They just started listening to the podcast and they're like, Hey, I'm on episode two. I just want you to know your wife is a bitch. She was terrible to do all those things. That's an awful thing to do to a person. And I've gotten messages like that before. I even wrote jokes about people telling me she was a bitch about how like that wasn't true. And like, that's not, like, and I, but this time I was like, you're fucking right. She is. That was terrible. And she's never fucking apologized for it. Who wouldn't do that? A bad person. A bad, only a bad person would do something that awful and never apologize for it and, and make me feel bad. It's been years making me feel like I was inferior. I was lesser. I was a bad parent, all these things. And I was just like, I'm going to unsubscribe. I just don't, I don't, you know, she sent me that text and like, I, and I just felt like I could see her trying to pull strings. And I was like, I'm just going to cut that off because get fucked. The ego revelation was the beginning of you starting to be wake up to that revelation. And then she comes along with a different angle. Like, let's be friends. Let me back in. Let me closer. Do you want to hear the crazy thoughts that I had back then? That, that night, don't seem I remember crazy. you tell. Yep. It seemed too good to be true. The way her experience mirrored mine. And I've often worried about her listening to the podcast or her friends or somebody telling like, you know, we got lots of listeners in Utah and, uh, we have mutual friends. Like I'm sure it's not Ethan. Ethan talks about Mormon and the meth head. She knows what it is. Right. Right. And I just was like, what if she listened to that episode and just what called me up and mirrored my story with, with her own to get to me like that seems weird but then when a month or a few weeks later she tells me that that her and Todd are splitting up and then I'm like oh because in the first conversation I when we were made up I was like hey it's ridiculous that me and Todd haven't met we should meet I want to sit down and like have dinner with them like I want to meet my kid's stepdad and she got really weird and was like, no, 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 that's not necessary. And I was like, of course it's necessary. It's been way too long. I'm sorry that I was too scared to do it. I'm feeling a lot better now. Let's do it. And she was like, no, I don't think we need to schedule anything. I think we can let it happen organically, which makes no sense. We don't live in the same city. <laughs> we don't go to the same gym. We don't hang. We're never going to meet organically. We have to schedule something. And I thought that was weird. But then later, like uh, two or three weeks later, when she's like, we're breaking up, I was like, oh, so you knew that on our last phone call. We're uh, breaking up and then kind of tried to use you as emotional support for her breakup, emotional support at, for her breakup, fucked up. That's fucked up. A relationship that she went out of her way to put into your face and make you feel bad about. Yep. And now like now uh, we haven't spoken to each other in a year and now you want to you want to talk about your breakup and the things that you're learning and you want to talk to me about how your parents aren't being nice to you. Like all of a sudden you were, you, she was using me as an emotional shoulder and, uh, I, I, I thought more about that idea and I thought I was kind of still kind of crazy. And now that I'm reading stuff that, uh, all like, I mean, Facebook groups where people are sharing their experiences with their moms or dads yeah, or boyfriends or girlfriends or bad. husbands or wives. And there are things that I'm like, 
okay, well then this is totally within the realm of possibility. Absolutely. She also revealed that she does listen to the podcast because you shared the story of the the talk between you. And within days she was like, did you tell that story on the podcast? Yeah. She, yeah. But I can't believe like I've spent so much time being nice on this podcast to her, like and and and, a, and like just giving her side of things. And I would, even when I was like at my like expressing some anger, I would always uh uh like capitulate and be like, but you know, like that's my side of the story. I'm sure. And like I was just like convinced that I was projecting so much stuff onto her. Like I was like sure she's done stuff that's wrong, but like she's not evil or anything. Like I uh, I've I've done a lot of things that are wrong by her and like I have a lot to apologize you... for. And now I'm like what if that was all I'm not done with this journey yet. This is the start of it. I'm going to I haven't even finished this one book yet. But like uh fuck if it doesn't feel true. What you believed to be you ruining the marriage was you getting depressed and um she had some health issues and you would tell stories about carrying her up flights of stairs and all of these things that you did to take care of her and then you felt like you ruined the marriage by getting depressed like uh the person who you carried um you let them down by needing to be carried for a minute and that that's how you ruined the marriage. Yeah, man. Somebody said um, that they missed their husbands. They missed uh, having someone to take care of me. And I was like, I don't think she ever really took care of me. There were some, I mean, that's, that's an oversimplification. Like there was a lot of stuff that she would do nice things for me. Buy nice presents. That was her love language. She was very good at buying presents and stuff. That's nice. But like caretaking, like I never felt like she said, baby, stay in bed. I'm going to take care of this. Like you'd go take a day to yourself, like, or like, you know, but every day I let her sleep in and every day I let her skip chores and stuff. Like, and I just picked up the slack and I took care of Ethan and I did this and I tried to baby her and make it cause I, uh, loved her, you know? And, uh, it's just it fucking sucks it fucking sucks but like i didn't want her to be a bad person i felt like it'd be it'd be weird to admit that i was in love with a bad person but it's um easier to believe that you're the bad person it was much easier to believe much much easier i don't think that my problems with self-esteem started with with tabitha right they were there before but like they got so much worse I, I believed that I was everything that was wrong and like that affected my relationship with you. It was compounded in that relationship with you. Then when we broke up, I was like, okay, well, yeah, this makes sense. This tracks because I am the one who fucks stuff up. And even if she's not evil, even if she's not a narcissist, even if I'm making it all up in my head, the, the lesson that I'm taking away is like that I'm not bad. At the bare minimum, the breakup, the method of breaking up with you was emotionally violent. It was traumatic. And your reaction to it was completely rational. It was completely logical. That's not how you break up with someone. That is what, that is how a narcissist does uh, what's called discarding. 
um, their system is love bombing. They make you feel like this is the person you've looked for your whole life. This is the best thing I've ever had. And you're inseparable and everything's great. And then they slowly pull back and you, you freak out and you come unhinged. And then they're like, ew, you're getting gross. You're getting weird. I don't know what's wrong with you. And then as they pull back and you you can't put your finger on it, you start to get depressed and you start to get anxious and you start to become anxiously attached and they pull back further, further. They do things knowing that it will trigger you so that they can complain that you're triggered and talk about how there's something wrong with you so that you keep trying to to get better and and be and have that closeness you just want that fucking closeness from the beginning back and then they at some point when they have gotten all of the other flavors of your energy they discard you and discard is a great word for the way that they do it they know exactly how to do it in a way that you will continue to feed them for years to come because they've taken such a huge piece of you that you can't let go of them. And, uh, and then they can just come back and feed. Yeah. And you got discarded. There is no float that story to anyone on the planet. My wife of seven years with no warning, broke up to me at the beginning of a road trip and swiped Tinder in front of my crying face and then left you to go to a Tinder date and then called you to end left, the marriage? Left, left her, uh, uh, her okay Cupid open on my laptop. Yeah, all of that's left, intentional, uh, man. So that I could see all the messages that she got. Uh, like, yeah, everything... It must be nice to go start a new life and just still have the uh, all of the love and adoration and, and energy just still getting pumped at you from... I believe it's an energy exchange, and I think that's why she knows on days where uh, there's no reason for her to know that you're happy. There's no reason for her to know that you're moving on. There's no reason for her to know, I mean, other than she listens to the podcast, but those aren't exactly right on time, but she just can't. And then it's, but it's all this jerking back and forth. Not even the apologies have ever seemed like something that were anything other than to change the footing so she could go at it a different way. I always wanted to believe that like the divorce is when it started that like, you know, maybe it was hard for her to just say, no, I don't want to be here anymore. So she had to invent a reason to leave. And like, that's when all this started, you know? That I can understand. And it is what's weird. I'll close on this. We got to get ready for this show. But um, it's so weird to see her. And that's been another hard thing about, you know, school's out and now she lives nearby and we have to, we're like walking back and forth. Whereas we used to not see each other as much. Right. Seeing her hurts me. It hurts. So I don't give a fuck about her feeling anxious. That's why I was like, dude, I get. I'm anxious every time. Like, you make me, you know. But it hurts to see her because I see her and she looks like her. And I want her. I see her body and I want her body. And then I talk to her or, like, she speaks or I just get close to her. And it's like, it's like an alien wearing a Tabitha suit. It's like, who are you? I don't get, I don't, like, there's, it just feels like, you know, I feel, I feel people. She feels like static. Mm -hmm. She feels like static. Like it's not, like it's not real and it kills me. And then I just feel like every, and I'm like, I go home and I think about how I mean nothing to her 
She doesn't think about me. She doesn't miss me, fantasize me, uh, worry about looking pretty to meet me or worry about what I think of her or anything. And I'm like, huh, that sucks. But, uh, I'm doing so many things different now out of just in a day. I just, I started telling people no more, you know, like I, this, this girl wanted to sext and I didn't want to sext. And I was so worried about hurting her feelings. And then I was like, yours are also important. If you don't want, if you're not comfortable, such a weird mirroring, you wouldn't make anyone else. You wouldn't force someone to sext you. If they said you were uncomfortable, you would be like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. And so I was like, just tell them you don't feel like it. And I said, okay, I don't feel like it. And, and then I did another one of those happy screams. I was just like in my kitchen by myself, like, yeah. And it was, it was such a small victory, but it felt uh, monumental for me where I was like, I'm new. I'm different. I think I like myself more already. And if you listen to the Patreon episode, I like talked about like specific things I'm doing to like myself more, including journaling, saying nice things, paying attention to that nice voice more. And it's it's going well. I've had my ups and downs already in just like two weeks time, but I really hope that, uh, this leads to some lasting improvements in my personal life. I bet it does. Mm. Tune in next time to find out if that's true. Uh, follow us on social media, Aaron space museum with a Z at Instagram Jessa Reed comedy on Instagram and Twitter. What are you on? You've got some fucked up shit on Twitter too, right? Fucked up shit. It's well, just it's like Aaron, Aaron underscore. Four, no, no, it's just Aaron Woodall 14. Oh, okay. Never mind. Maybe so there's maybe. a number. I feel I, should, I, I feel like my handles are lame. I don't know how everyone I love picks Aaron a Space handle. Museum, but. Aaron's, thank you. Thank you. Anyway, uh, we got to go to a show in 45 minutes. So uh, thanks for being our fans. And, um, you know, let me know if you think I'm crazy. (laughs) Next time on Mormon and the Method. If you put a Mormon and a Method together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. A podcast network. Was like, this is kind of trigger. This is kind of a lot for me, you know. Uh, She was touching on things that I was still sore about. Like she said, you know, my sister said she misses you. And I got like mad about that. I was like, your sister knows where I am. Your sister has my phone number. Your sister can reach out to me however she wants. But uh, she hasn't in years. She completely abandoned me in my time of need. I'm very, I've never talked about them on the podcast. But Tabitha has a sister and a brother-in-law who really hurt me in the divorce. Because they were my best friends. And I get that divorce stuff is messy, you know, and you, everyone says you don't have to pick a side, but you, you got to pick a side. And, uh, 
weirdly enough, they didn't pick me. You know, <laughs> they went with their sister. Right? That makes that makes sense. But, but did still, they say like goodbye or have that conversation with no, you? No, I mean the stuff that hurt was like they were the first people I told about Tabitha leaving me, and I cried, and I put my head on uh, my sister-in-law's shoulder. I haven't thought up of fake names for them yet. So, <laughs> uh, and I just cried, and she held me. And, like, I've known her longer than her husband, but I was, like, really close with her husband. I loved him so much. And they were like, we're going to be here for you. No matter what, we want you to know that we love you and we'll be here for you. And it was a lie. They were never there for me after that. The day that uh, she told me that it was over, you remember she said we want a trial separation. Yeah. But that trial separation was like 48 hours. And then and then she was like, no, I really am just getting a divorce. So that day that she did that over the phone. And I was in Salt Lake with Ethan and I called them up. I was because I was uh, a mess. And uh, I was like, I need help, please. And they were like, oh, we have di- we're having we have dinner plans. And I was like, cool. I was just I mean, it's. I was very, I was, I was like, I need to give Ethan to them so that I could kill myself tonight. So, oh I mean, goodness. I'm glad that you went to that Cajun restaurant uh, right. instead. So that's probably fine. But, um, then like all this, the, in the beginning of the divorce, like all this time passed and they, they weren't there. And then like, they talked to me and were like, Hey, we're sorry. Like we are this is weird and I uh, don't feel like we're doing a good job here. We haven't been there for you, but I promise we're going to be there for you from now on. And I was like, really? Thank you. That means a lot. It's great. And then a couple days later, I texted her asking her for help or something. And she said, I don't think I can do this. And like they, ca- they went out of their way to come get you back and then leave you again. Yeah. Uh, what a weird like we went to family we- trait. <laughs> We went to Chick-fil-A and like, and Ethan played and we like talked and they, they told me, uh, that, you know, they were going to be there for me now and they never were, they never were no one, but they was, that was the only contact I had uh, from her family was fan. Like I was just, I've still, I've, I have a lot of leftover sadness and anger about her family. Uh, but it was just, it's so weird how they were just like, we just don't talk anymore. And, that's, and I just, I just mad about how fake the whole relationship was from the beginning, how they're all their fake words about how we're family and you're our son. And we're so glad you married our daughter and all this stuff. And then they don't fucking in the, in the, in my darkest time, the time that I need them the most, none of them are there. Yeah. It's not like you uh, cheated and left. You know, you know, when I heard from them, you know, the, the time that I heard from them and this is what prompted the apology. Uh, they, they hadn't said anything to me. They reached out to me, uh, to help, they needed me to contact their mom to get money transferred to a different country. Like they just needed a favor, and <gasps> and I was like, that's fucked up. And then then and then after that, they took me to Chick Fil A. Was you know the the proper apology. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm remembering it all wrong and out of order, but they happened anyway. I was just like, I'm still like mad at that family, but like no one more than those two because they were the ones that. I loved like her sister. I feel like I watched her grow up. Like not, I mean, like not really like I can't, 
grow. I, I watched her grow, but I, I met her when she was like uh, in a junior in high school. I watched her go through college, get married, all this stuff. And like she was one of my best friends and he was one of my best friends. And uh, then they just uh, were gone out of my life. I had nobody, I had no, nothing. And it was, it was really, really rough. So when uh, Tabitha brings that up and just like, she misses you, I immediately was like, well, fuck her. <laughs> like, yeah. you miss me? Why don't you tell me you miss me? Just, what's this fucking shit? You don't actually, mi-, you know, I was just like mad immediately. And it was clear that I was like, okay, well, I'm still triggered here. So 